Welcome, friends. This is Historical AF. I'm Kina. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. Yay, we are two history podcasts here to deliver you some morbid and some historical nuggy nugs about nursery rhymes straight to your ear holes. This is Nursery Rhymes Part 1. So fairy tales, originally it was going to be fairy tales and nursery rhymes combined. And then I was like, oh no, there's too much. I must separate them. So here we are. Okay. That makes me feel better because when I picked this and then I saw it was nursery rhymes, I was like, wait, this may not be like a proper nursery rhyme, but it's in the family. (laughs) If you you Google it, it is considered a nursery rhyme, even though like what I consider a nursery rhyme, you know, London Bridge is falling down Mm -hmm. or ring around the Rosie. And I'm like the Pied Piper, it is technically considered a nursery rhyme. Yeah, and some of them are technically considered lullabies. I'm going to go over that a little bit. And I was like, oh, man, this all is very twisty. Intermingly yeah. twisty. It's all and- made up anyway. It's fine. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it doesn't. It's not real. It's fine. Most of these stories were just to keep their kids in bed at night anyways. Yeah, it's true. But maybe not ours. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I was perusing Nursery Rhymes, and I was shocked at how the second I started reading it, I remembered all of them. And there's a lot of them. And I just, I haven't thought of Nursery Rhymes in probably right. 20-something years. And then all of a the sudden, not having kids thing. Probably, yeah. And it all came back. I was like, oh, man, I know things. What? Oh, yeah. like, I had a big, I remember growing up, I had like a big book of like Mother Goose nursery yeah, rhymes. Same. And yeah, the same thing. Like I was, when I was going through these, I'm like, oh, I remember all of these suddenly. <laughs> it's like I, I always knew like, you know, like London Bridge and Ring Around the Rosie, but there were other yeah. ones. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like Old Mother Hubbard. Yeah, that was one I hadn't thought about. Yeah, in like 20 years. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's a nursery rhyme. Okay, I have a question for everyone, though. Okay. What does Miss Mary Mac count as? Does everyone does remember my Miss Mary yeah. Mac, Mac, Mac fell on her back, back. Oh, yeah. We're, we're, we're I know like, it differently, but yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. We're, what, what was the one where they kept like saying, ah, oh, Miss Susie had a steamboat. The steamboat had a bell. Miss Susie, Susie went, went to heaven. heaven. The steamboat went to hello. Refrigerator, please dial me number nine. nine. If you disconnect me, I'll cut up your behind the refrigerator. There was a, okay. That could go on for like. But it, the, the joke was, it sounds like you're going to swear and, then you, and then you don't. I don't think that's yeah. considered a nursery rhyme. I don't know what it would be considered, though. My entire second grade <laughs> life. <laughs> I literally, I remember doing that in second grade and being like, oh, I'm so edgy. Oh, no, it's considered a nursery rhyme. At oh, least. we should have that. At least according to this website called All Nursery Rhymes. <laughs> According to Wikipedia as well. <laughs> it's apparently. That's very a uh, legit source. Oh, yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I had yeah, my entire undergraduate just threats of kicking you out of college if you used Wikipedia. And like Wikipedia has changed because they actually cite their sources. It's actually pretty legit now. But there's still that part of me being like, never right. use Wikipedia. A, lo- a lot of times what I'll do is I'll start at Wikipedia and then I'll use their references and then yeah. I'll actually reference their reference and not the Wikipedia. <laughs> I, I like using Wikipedia because it breaks everything down into mm-hmm. these really easy understand chunks where it's like, here's their, this person's personal life, you know, here's their music career, here's that, you know, and it, it gives you a better overview if you're diving into someone that you know nothing about or a exactly. topic that you don't know anything about. So then when you're reading these other resources, you can kind of put it into context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's, 
I think it's got a bad rap. And like I said, undergrad was like 2003 for me. And that was a lot of like scholarly snobs, you know? Oh, yeah. I I think that we've evolved, hopefully, as a society to stop shunning the Wikipedia users. At least I hope so, because I've come to the dark side and I like it. I will be shunned. The first piece of advice I ever got from about Wikipedia and using it, I remember this very vividly. It was sixth grade. Because Wikipedia, like, was just kind of becoming a popular thing. And my teacher told us, like, hey, you can totally use Wikipedia, but just understand you need to double check everything you read on there and think critically about what you're reading. For example, if you read that the American flag has smiley faces (laughs) instead of stars on it, well, I'm going to, I'm going to dock you points for that because that just shows you're stupid <laughs> like <and laughs> talking about how important it is to think critically about what you read on the internet which now i'm like oh bless uh, your heart <laughs> yeah yeah isn't it amazing the last that the real ones the generation that warned us all as kids to think very critically about the internet and to be careful what you read are the ones that believe everything now on the oh, internet yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. How the turntables have turntabled is <laughs> quite, quite interesting. Wicka, wicka. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, man. All right. Well, you want to just jump into this? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll go first because I'm going to do just a overarching history of nursery rhymes. Because I didn't really know where they originated. And clearly we don't either. No. <laughs> We don't know the exact definition of what a nursery rhyme is. Yeah, like who knows that? I could. This tell is you. one of the few appropriate times where is where it's totally okay to be like, according to Oxford Dictionary, a nursery <laughs> rhyme is. <laughs> that is one of my sources. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, let me blow up my font because I'm blind and I left my glasses in the car because I wore them to look extra smart in my interview. Today, yeah, so. of course. But then I was blind and I needed my sunglasses, so it happens. So on this podcast, I've talked about like Edgar Allan Poe and Mary Shelley and Bram Stoker, but no one has got anything on our girl, Mother Goose. I'm telling you, these things are dark. Nursery rhymes, they reach all the fun topics like prostitution and death and murder. (laughs) (laughs) Self-dismemberment. It's amazing. <laughs> I enjoy it greatly. And I'm so excited we're talking about it. But I realized once I was looking at them, <laughs> I didn't know what they were, really. I I think there's just this weird blurry line between them and fairy tales. So I wanted to figure out what it was. So here we go. That's my segment. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so <clears throat> we all know that nursery rhymes are dark as shit with really messed up origins. And that's why we love them, honestly. But... They started out as kind of like a traditional poem or a song for children, which is different because fairy tales were originally meant for adults. So I found that interesting, the little change there. Because like Brothers Grimm's, this isn't for children. Yeah. And then Walt Disney was like, but what if it was? Yeah. He's like, hold my beer. (laughs) Let's let's get rid of some of the stuff and, you know. But still keep kissing a dead woman in a glass coffin. That's totally child friendly. Yeah. Or, you know, kissing a woman that's been asleep for a hundred years. That's There's actually a lot of way more PG a than what actually happened, though. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. 
I, I don't know if I'm making this up, but I think that one of the rides at Disney, they've taken out the kiss scene because of the consent. And I don't I, I don't know so. if that's real. Oh. But I, I heard people screaming about it on TikTok, but people scream about everything. But I think that makes sense to me. Yeah, I, I like, vaguely remember it, too. So I don't yeah. know. Maybe. I remember that they took out Splash. They didn't take out Splash Mountain, but it was the whole ride was based on Song of the South, which Ooh. is you cannot get that anymore. I've seen no, I've seen the VHS. You shouldn't be able to. I've no. seen the VHS on Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> oh, my God. Really? Where you can buy it. And I only knew about it because I have those like Disney sing along VHS yep. tapes and they mm -hmm. have the they have the Splash zip, Mountain in there. Yeah. Well, the Zippity Doodah song. But they're totally redoing that ride to be Princess and the Frog, and people were freaking out. I'm like, no one knows about Song of the South no, anymore. People just think it's a little like a mining train. Yeah, like, people don't realize it's based on a Disney movie. Not a racist a ass Disney movie. Not racist, but it's so fucking outdated. Like, why wouldn't they capitalize I mean, on out, the princess? It movement? was outdated, like when it came, like because it was yeah. a big deal even when it came out, and people yeah. were like, "Why did you do this?" Yeah, as a child yeah. born in the '90s, that movie was not even accessible. And I remember going on that ride and being like, "Oh, this is from that." sing-along VHS yep. thing and I didn't know it was from an actual movie I am here for Princess and the Frog yeah. I hope they do some cool magical voodoo shit and I hope we get our little Firefly Ramon guy back oh my god I am just I love that movie so much she's my favorite princess because she has a job she has multiple jobs she works she earns her shit I just work love yes Hamilton girl power <laughs> anyway where was I at I it it's been a long day, guys. I'm going to be going on no weird ride. <laughs> so where was I? Okay, so generally, these were anonymous for the most part. There's a few that have been attributed to authors, but I also thought that was interesting. A lot of people are creating these nursery rhymes and not, not You're like, giving I don't them self-credit. <laughs> like, how dark does it have to get before you're like, never mind, nobody needs to know I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, again, I love that there's just these doozy topics like plagues and taxes and religious persecution. And naturally we're like, we're going to tell these to our tiny humans. It's going to be awesome. Don't worry about it. They're not going to have any idea what it means. <laughs> they're found all over the world, but they're predominantly from Britain, which I think I did mm -hmm. know. And from the mid 16th century, nursery rhymes began to be recorded in English plays. And the most popular rhymes date from around the 17th and 18th century. So half of the currently recognized, and that was in a quote, <laughs> traditional English rhymes were known by the mid-18th century. So they've been floating around, but they weren't really something people knew of until about then. So it had a little bit of a later start than fairy tales. Because fairy tales were pretty popular, and they were just being written down and published mm -hmm. at the time. So fun fact, the first English collection was Tommy Thumb's Songbook. Tommy Thumb. Tommy Thumb. Then we update it for the for the twentieth century. Tom Thumb. Sophisticated <laughs> now. He goes by Tom. And there was you a sequel. Like the rest of us. <laughs> there was a sequel. Tommy Thumb's Pretty Songbook. Oh. Did they take out the morbid ones or something? <laughs> no, it's no. just the first one was not bound very nicely. It was ugly. done on the cheap. It was real ugly. Yeah. It was interestingly published by a woman, Mary Cooper, in 1744, oh. which I've seen a lot of women attributed to publishing fairy tales and nursery rhymes. And that is just a delightful surprise that I didn't yeah. expect when 
you guys chose this to be our theme. So I am excited by that. Because one of the first- Kind of makes sense. Because the because children in the home was the women's domain at the time, so and while well, fairy tales it. were for adults, you know, and like the brothers Grimm and men are writing those, it kind of makes sense that the women who would be telling these and using them with their children would be the ones who are like, I don't like give this to other people. Yeah, putting the shit in the book. Yeah, like it. And there's also a copy of Tommy Thumb's songs in the British Library right now, and I just think oh, that's nice. Nice. <laughs> random fact. That's neat. <laughs> That is old as shit. I, yeah. I don't know. I, this is why I like history. I just want to touch old shit. Like the old books that are so old, you have to wear gloves, masks. Ugh, yep. I want to touch them all. And you're like, I want to turn the page, but I'm also really afraid to. <laughs> now don't blink too quickly or the ink will go flying. It's basically dust at this point. Yeah, that's true. Oh, that'd be scary. I do not want to be a person that breaks something. No. Yeah, that's why like I love registrar work. I think it's incredible and I would love to do it, but it's also nerve-wracking cuz you're in charge of packing and moving yeah. and mm -hmm. hanging and you know, storing and I got to do that when I worked in Arkansas and I was just like, Ugh, my hand went through this. <laughs> like there's literally nothing like this. And you were that little kid yeah. that tripped and just put his fist through a painting. Oh god. Well, it was fun because when you transported from the storage facility to the museum, it was just a van and with no seats in it. And you would be in the back with like towels and blankets and stuff. And there would be somebody sitting in the back. It was me a couple of times and you'd have to just kind of hold everything so it didn't move. But one time I was crawling back there and I was wearing like pointy shoes. And then I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> it was so scary. So scary. Yeah, oh, that I, is, I do not need that anxiety. I'm going to have an anxiety nightmare about, like, <laughs> pushing yeah. a heel through the Mona Lisa tonight. But luckily, you have, like, two people watching you crawl in to be like, watch your foot. So that helps. Uh, anyway, where am I now? So publisher John Newberry had a stepson named Thomas Carnan, and he was the first to use the term Mother Goose for nursery rhymes. And he hmm. used it in a publication called English Rhymes, Mother Goose's Melody, and the Sonnets for the Cradle. And that was 1780. I totally thought you were going to say Sonnets for the Crazy. Yep. That's about, <laughs> that is exactly what I was well, waiting to hear, too. Back then when they titled things, they didn't pull any punches no, about anything. I'm like, oh, yeah, Sonnets for the Crazy. Totally makes sense to me. <laughs> oh, the cradle, you say. Oh, like, oh yeah, we are talking about children's nursery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the cradle makes more sense. <laughs> I like where your mind's at. It checks out. It would make also a lot of be our sense. new girl band, uh, Sonnets yes. for the Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> TM, 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 TM. <laughs> <laughs> so these rhymes seem to have come with a variety of sources, including traditional riddles, proverbs, ballads, lines of murmurs plays, drinking songs, historical yeah. events, and some historians now suggest ancient pagan rituals, which I did not know but I'm here for it. Thousand percent makes this so much cooler. <laughs> Nursery rhymes, pagan them. shit. Like thinking about them, I'm like, yeah, I could see that being related to some pagan ritual. You know how everyone's always like, aliens. No, pagans. <laughs> Every time, Christmas, Easter, nursery yeah. rhymes, pagans. Easter Island, definitely pagans. the pagans. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if Christians really like something, they probably stole it from the pagans. Oh, totally. The pagans had the coolest shit. Mm-hmm. 
So I was interested that it said riddles. So I found one. And one example is called As I Was Going to St. Ives. And that dates from 1730. And I will recite the most common version now and see if you can answer said riddle. Okay. As I was going to St. Ives, I met a man with seven wives. Each wife had seven sacks. Each sack had seven cats. Each cat had seven kits. Kits, cats, sacks, wives. How many were there going to St. Ives? That's not fair because that's a mathematical equation. <laughs> I mean, that's not a fucking riddle. That is a word problem. No, not taking it from my third grade math book. I'm going to go need, with none. I need my a paper. I need some paper <laughs> and a pencil. Do I have to show my work? <laughs> no, You're right. No, it's his mother is the doctor. No, because <laughs> you weren't going to St. Ives. You were going to St. Ives. You just happened to meet them on your way. So okay, none so of them are going the to question. St. Ives. I no, you got it. Yeah, the narrator is the only oh, one going okay. to St. Ives. So yeah. Go, Kelly. I really like this. <laughs> I have to say, I love that the answer to a riddle is usually nothing. A riddle I used to love telling school-agers when I worked with them was the where do you bury the survivors one, where basically... A plane crashes on the border of the United States and Canada, oh, yeah. and this many people land on this side, and this way, and you overload them with all this information. The plane was flying at this many miles an hour at a height. And that's exactly blah, 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 what blah. that one does. Exactly. And I always say, you know, where do you bury the survivors? I have kids going like, oh my God. Like and you it, just were? And I'm yes. over here like, not none. <laughs> I'm bad at riddles. That's why I love telling them to kids because I'm like, this is <laughs> me. Now I'm going to pass the pain on. No, I just, I really <laughs> enjoy riddles. Ah, uh, well, Good job. I, I'm glad we have a winner. Oh, hi, Doug. Yeah, I was going to say, Tina's cat. cat is also very proud of you. He is. He's, he's saying something to you. <laughs> it's probably Stop being not a nice. Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> probably. He's kind of evil. I'm a proud yeah. nerd. It's fine. Nope. Yes. And that's the important thing. Be proud of who you are and your nerdiness. Yes. I am also proud of my intimate, like you started shouting numbers and my brain literally turned off. I'm like, this is how I've dealt with math my entire life. Just white noise. So you, oh, exactly. I, I stopped reading. Because I, I bought some of Kina's shirts and the one I bought is the one that says nerdy AF. <laughs> I love and it. I and I also love face. that we live in a time where being nerdy is cool now because yeah. I had a rough childhood. So. Oh, yeah. It's good for the youths to be supported in the nerdiness. They have a better time than us. It was not great. Yeah. <laughs> so next, it also mentioned lullabies, which I, I did also didn't know much about them. I just thought it was all the same thing. But I found out that the etymology, the folk etymology of a lullaby is derivative from the Jewish folklore meaning Lilith of Abi. I don't know Hebrew. I'm so sorry. Which... In English means Lilith go away. <laughs> How freaking cool is that? <laughs> Wasn't Lilith like the like Eve's bad alter ego or something? Yeah, yeah. She, was like a bad, she was like a bad spirit. Yeah. Some people say she's a succubus, but yeah, she's just like okay. So we are women. singing these songs to our children to make the biblical succubus go bye bye. When you're talking about lullabies, the only one I can think about is the one about the cradle falling out of a tree. Oh, yeah. It's like, that scary. is a terrible song. That's about a king or something. Yeah, when the bow breaks, the cradle will fall. Down will come baby. Come baby cradle. Oh. See, all I can think of is 
lullaby and good night. Shut the fuck up. It's late now. I am tired and gonna die. <laughs> I have not heard that one. Go to sleep, spawn of Satan. The, the only part of that was correct was that was was the first line. <laughs> hey, you know what? Samuel L. Jackson can read. Go the fuck to sleep. Isn't that I can sing this? Oh, like man. I know he read it, but I didn't. He, he didn't, didn't write it. it. No, I, it was no. like Chandler or someone. It was one of my favorite days ever when that book came to the library, yeah. and I don't think people knew what it was when they bought it, or if they did, they were just being funny but they were like we can't put this shit on the shelf i'm like why not it's amazing let's yeah. do this it's by adam oh. mansbach who i don't know who that is he's the guy that wrote go the go the fuck to sleep yeah <laughs> he's <a laughs> that <hero>. guy <laughs> he kind of looks like adam sandler <laughs> oh my god that makes sense uh, oh my so god, today, he has another book he has another oh. book that's called you have to fucking eat <laughs> We need to write children's stories. Yes. This is the thing we're missing <laughs> in our history careers. So Yeah, we're going to start writing history novels for children. Like, fuck laden history children's books. Yes, I'm down. I'm 100% down. We will make millions. <laughs> a eggplant emoji in a jar. By yep. <laughs> <laughs> I am on it. Okay. TM, TM, TM. I know Zeke every time is like, is this your legacy dick jokes? And I'm like, it appears so. <laughs> Roll with it. Let Just it put a penis in a jar on my grave and we're good. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like people leave a rose on Edgar Allan Poe's grave on the anniversary of death. People are going to leave no, penises meant, in jars on your grave on I the meant anniversary like, of death. I meant like etch it into her tombstone. Oh. <laughs> either one I'm, both. I, mean, okay both. I was i was just gonna cheat and put a dildo in a jar but okay guess we could do that the irony is in my garden the only thing that's done really well this year is all the eggplants yes <laughs> so many because you have big, big energy yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's true oh all right so lullabies are also known as cradle songs and the purpose varies like everything else nobody knows according or, to family according lore, to family lore. <laughs> Some societies use them to pass down knowledge, culture, and tradition, which a lot of lullabies are pretty dark too, so I don't, I don't know. But there is a really cool positive to it. They're sometimes used to develop communicative words, skills, and it has like emotional intent and then maintenance of infants' undivided attention, modulation in infants' arousal, and the regulation of behavior because they have that really cool rhythm yep. and babies dig that. So it really helps with word development because they don't have like small words a lot of them are really big words and a really cool rhythm so apparently baby brains really dig lullabies and sometimes they're used as sleep aids for infants so because they're very like musical mm -hmm. and it's simple and repetitive but then it's all like you're gonna fall out a tree and die because it never says so somebody catches you i don't know right to each their own <laughs> <laughs> potato potato i don't know so a french poem similar to 30 days half of september Numbering the days of the month was recorded in the 13th century, and that's one of the first ever found, which was kind of fun. They began to pick up in the 14th century, and then nursery rhymes hit their peak in the 18th century. The roots probably go back even further. And, like, no human culture 
it's been without some sort of nursery rhyme fairy tale lullaby situation because it's just something that happens with oral tradition and they're always just rhyming little ditties for their children which i think is fun because you can find them in every culture and they're all so weird which yeah, makes are. me think that like as humans we are innately weird yeah, we just want to pass down the weird shit. Yeah, it's the thing that survives. Nursery rhymes, fairy tales have survived a lot. Right. It's a testament to if you're weird, this is just how our human form, you know, if you're not weird, you're just pretending. I don't buy it. When they talk about what like humanity, everyone humanity has in common, it's our weirdness. It is. We're all a little bunch of bonkers basket cases. <laughs> we like to sing about death and babies falling out of trees. It's true. And a lot of those same kind of ideas popped up around the world without really communicating, too. So that's always been really interesting. Weird and morbid shit. Right. Common denominator across the board. I think it's, you're trying to scare off other people. You're just like, this is what we teach our children. All this death. Imagine what we do to you. <laughs> and we like them. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's true. If you're saying that to your kids and you actually are trying to keep them alive, watch out, everybody else. So just like fairy tales, these are part of the ancient oral tradition, and they have that distinctive sing-song meter, tonality, rhythm that is characteristic of Mother Goose. And there's some cool little fun facts. So child development expert Sue Palmer and Ross Bailey say that nursery rhymes are very significantly musical and they aid in child's mental development and spatial reasoning. So they might be dark as shit, but they're actually making your kids smarter. So that's fun. I always like to sprinkle a little psychology in there. I knew you'd like appreciate that. Victorian <laughs> baby Einstein. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Love it. And so Seth Lerier, sorry about that, Dean of Arts and Humanities at the University of California, San Diego, has also emphasized the ability of nursery rhymes to foster emotional connections and cultivate language. Mm. Quote, it is a way of completing the world through a rhyme, he said in an interview, and that was like NBC Today show last That's year. Cool. And then he also said, when we sing them, we're participating in something that bonds parents and child. So that's pretty fun too. I never thought of that, the connection. Because they're so easy to learn. So together. Yep. People with like, those tiny uh, humans. So one of so Jared's older niece, her grandfather sings patty cake to her. And she's not really saying I think she says like mama and you know some of those basic words. But she gets the but, rhythm. But she knows patty cake. Like she'll start like bouncing up. Like she responds to it. She knows mm -hmm. it's the special song. That's cute. And, and she'll like move her hands. She doesn't know the motions, but she'll start moving her hands around because her grandfather does the like yeah. with her. And so she's starting to pick up on that already. And that it means That's something so to her, even if she can't quite communicate what that is. Well, that makes perfect sense too, because I talk about like development and their, yeah, that all coming together it's dinner time for my puppies <laughs> they're very loud and he acts like he's starving to death every day like every day is like the longest he's ever gone without food and it's just very dramatic um ba -da -ba -ba. and it's also really interesting the way historians talk about it because when we're doing nursery rhymes and engaging in like the hand motions like you just did with patty cake like we're doing a centuries-old tradition and it's just really cool that we're doing the same thing people did in the 13th century that blows right. my mind. And then, like, it's, it has still here. Yeah. Like, this, despite, especially, like, these days, like, despite modern technology, we still do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That 
just bullshit. of all the things to survive history sometimes it cracks me up what has you know yeah. like the amazing things we've lost to history but a weird ass nursery rhyme we don't know how Still people here. built these pyramids but we know <laughs> who the baker's man is <laughs> we know the muffin man <laughs> I was about to say that. and we know where that bitch lives <laughs> oh god oh you're killing me I'm so sorry. In the middle <laughs> ages, they did kind of a rhyming type songs in the marginalia, which that is like way back to episode one with the little bunnies on snails with the sticks poking people. So yeah, like sometimes they're fun <laughs> pictures, sometimes they're nursery rhymes. And I just thought that was delightful. <laughs> or ooh, the cat episode where a monk got pissed that a cat kept pissing in his book. So he wrote in the marginalia, like a cat beat here. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's like one at the bottom pointing at it with a hand like he drew a hand being like twice <laughs> and there's just like a beeprit it's so funny See, and that is so good though like that history tour i went on uh that i told you about one of the things they kept talking about was like yo this family didn't write shit down and she's like after you get home right when the tour your started, shit down. the weather, how long it lasted, with the people around, write everything down. A his future historian will thank Unless you. Unless you're a yeah. serial killer. No, then you stupid need <laughs> to write shit down, Kelly. No, because then they're going to know it. Uh, so I've been listening. Don't, <laughs> don't give positive advice to the serial killers. We want That's them to write it write down. Write your shit down. Everybody Kelly. write your shit down. Kelly, you are an enabling, you are enabling serial killers, <laughs> and I can't get on board with that. Dear serial killers, please write extensive details <laughs> and leave that notebook out in places for everyone to see yeah yeah absolutely don't hide it like dexter style no gotta be out in the open coffee it's a coffee table book yeah yeah you can out there all your weird creepy masochistic drawings yeah people want to see that i think that with everything with COVID and everybody being home last year i think a lot of people started journaling more so i think in the future historians are actually going to have paper yeah, they're going to like read half of this shit and be like, why the fuck did they write this down? Why are so many people baking bread? <laughs> why, why in this one thing was there a weird yeast shortage? <laughs> why is it talking about toilet paper so much? There's going to be this weird blip that why they're like, they I don't know what happened in this year. <laughs> and it's like the the moment like oh that's when the depression set in when we all yeah. started spiraling of our loneliness and despair. It's it's gonna be fun. I'm glad I'll be dead by the time people start interpreting this history. Yeah, it'll be a ride. I always like those TikToks where people are like, "Grandma, tell us about 2020," and they're like, yep. "We don't speak of that." Well, year. That's what's the thing is, you know how like growing up, like sometimes you'd have those projects that they're like, "Oh, go find someone that survived whatever," and you know, interview them. And I'm like, "That's gonna be us when we're old. They're yeah. gonna be like, find someone that survived the 2020 pandemic." <laughs> Miss Kina, I couldn't do my homework because when I asked my grandma about 2020, she started petting a roll of toilet paper and rocking <laughs> back and forth saying, vaccinations, vaccinations. <laughs> oh, God. You've heard of your verse. This is, we are seeing into the future. So in the mid 16th century, they began recording English plays with the nurse rants. And I thought this was right. Like patty cake was originally pat a cake. Oh, yeah, that would make sense. Pat a cake, pat a cake, baker's man. Which it makes sense because he's baking shit. Cakes, yeah. 
She's like that huh. Hannah Bread talk, patting her bread. <laughs> She's not pat slapping it. But, you know, talking about my favorite part of it. making yeasted bread is punching the dough down. I'm like, oh, there's something so cathartic about that. It is. I made my first challah bread and you get to punch it. Oh, it was real fun. My sister converted to Judaism and I'm very intrigued. <laughs> so, You're like, tell challah. me everything. Challah's good. Yeah, it's they make it like every Friday and then you eat it all weekend. Like, how how are how how can you have that many carbs That's i know i'm like question. i can't do that many carbs that religion is so much bread and so much wine <laughs> i don't understand and treats oh hi my two left hi zeke oh what adventure Oh, that's hilarious. You know, but that's one of those adventures you're okay missing. <laughs> I've, I've had to do that before because my dog will eat like my hair because it'll like, that's what I'm afraid of. You know. Oh my god, but my dogs are tiny. I can't imagine doing that with a giant. Oh my god. Yeah, that was the big old boxer. Oh my oh, man. God. It probably was my hair. And he I'm so glad did. that I could hear that over your microphone. <laughs> you're welcome. Because otherwise you would have just started laughing and me and Emily would have been like, what's going on? What's going on? Um, anyway, Patty Cake uh, is the <laughs> oldest surviving English nursery rhyme. You're going to have to make a nursery rhyme about pulling poop out of your dog's butt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm crying. All right. You know, All right. Like <laughs> eating hair, eating hair, little pup. Now I got to pull poop out of your, your butt. Yeah! Yeah! You are a genius. I am. Oh my like I might be able to do riddles, but she can she can do nursery rhymes. I am Linda from Bob's Burgers. <laughs> oh, oh my god. That is incredible. My boyfriend's gonna be so proud worried. of me when I tell him about yeah, this. <laughs> We've come up with a song tonight. Yeah. Yes. This is gold. Oh, sorry. That was just a Victorian ghost that like inhabited my body and was like, yes, I got this. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, oh, I love you guys. All right. So the earliest recorded version of the rhyme appears in Thomas. Play the campaigners in 1698. The campaigners? Campaigners. Oh, campaign. I thought you said a com. com I think I did. <laughs> I was like, is that like day. a campaigner? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm like. He's a campaigner. I'm like, I did. Yeah. yeah. Without a L. <laughs> I didn't even realize to... I said that until I reread it. Campaign and <laughs> just like way off. It's been a long day. It's fine. I'm smart. I promise. Most nursery rhymes were not written down until the 18th century, like I said before. But when they started publishing the children's books, they began to move from controversial and kind of educational to entertainment so that's a little fun fact i guess they were meant to be controversial and then some were to teach you things this is probably but... when like it, they started becoming less morbid maybe yeah, maybe yeah so they're more definitely... political <laughs> yeah a little bit more entertainment and then these kind of include to the market 
hmm. to the market and cock-a-doodle-doo, which date, at least in the 16th century. But I just think it's funny. Cock-a-doodle-doo. I miss my chickens. <laughs> circle back to that earlier yeah, conversation. Uh, wrap up the last hour and a half for those who missed it. <laughs> uh, nursery rhymes in the 17th century with those origins include like Jack Spratt in 1639, the grand old Duke of York, Lavender's Blue, and Rain, Rain, Go Away, which I'd forgotten about that one. Yeah. Oh, I remember singing that as a fucking preschooler. Right? And that's from 1687. Oh, oh. my God. We were doing history shit before we knew we were doing history shit. That's Oh, my God. We've always been history nerds. We, we were so didn't know about it. retro. <laughs> I was doing that before it was cool, guys. Yeah. In the early 19th century, printed collections of rhymes began to spread to other countries, including Robert Chambers' popular Rhymes of Scotland in 1826, Ooh. and in the United States with Mother Goose's Melodies, and that was 1833. I had a Mother Goose book. I don't know which one it was. Yeah. It was a real big I, one. Mine, like I said earlier, yeah, I think mine was literally called, like, the big boop. The big boob. <laughs> the big book of Mother Goose or like something like that. Yeah. And it was one of those really tall. Yeah, it was pictures. huge. It was very pretty. It's probably in my attic. I have all my kids' books up there somewhere. I think all of our kids' books went to my sister's kids, which was fine. <laughs> None of us are having kids. So we just exactly. Well, have books. <laughs> like all my sister. Oh. I was like crying, you know, I got so in my eye. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> From this period, we sometimes know the origins of the authors and rhymes. For instance, in Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, it combines the melody of an 18th century French tune. And I'm going to butcher some French now. A vous diriger maman. Maman. That's, yeah, that's all I know. Maman. <laughs> There's a giant spider at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art, and its name is Maman big ass spider it's the whole random but okay yeah oh like oh. it's an art piece yeah giant. Oh. yeah i didn't specify that no. my bad it meant there was a giant like black widow or tarantula like living no. in corner, and yeah. they named it i think there's six in the world but they're huge they're like it's like two stories tall and then you go through the legs and stuff okay, yeah that makes a lot more sense yeah i thought yeah. it was like how you know sometimes libraries have cats Sometimes oh, museums yeah. have I mean, spiders. We have two spiders that live in our bathtub. <laughs> have you named them? Okay, we used to have two spiders, and they were named Ralph and Stinky Pete. And then, <laughs> and then, and then my friend Peaches killed Ralph, no! and so it was just Stinky Pete for a while. But now there's another one, and I can't remember what we named it. But it's a girl. We decided it. so it's Stinky Pete, and I don't remember. I could ask Justin, but That's incredible. it's a girl name though. Because he's like, it has to be a girl. Lavender Lucy. No, we already named it. Well, you can't remember the name, so it doesn't count. No, it's like some old-timey name. I can't think of what it is now. Dolores. Even something. <laughs> That's my grandma's name. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's dead, but I still can't do that. I saw a TikTok where they're like, in Australia, they have a toilet spider. And they're like, this spider eats all the poisonous spiders. So you just leave them there. And like, this one's Steve. It's <laughs> like, wait, what? Is that real? So, Australians, let me know what your toilet spider's name is. Oh, God. It's, I'm derailing. It's been a long day. I, okay. I literally just texted my husband, what is Stinky Pete's girl's name? <laughs> <laughs> he named Stinky Pete. I named Ralph. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, and so that French thing, it was um, 
combined with a poem by Jane Taylor entitled Ooh. The Star. So it was a combination. So it's like the melody and the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's one. like America the Beautiful started out as a poem and then someone put it to music. Yeah, that's true. Well, and if you never know ABCD and Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, the same tune, just, yep. just different speeds. Yeah, there's a new alphabets thing that I, they sing it different now. Now I feel old because I'm like back in my day. <laughs> oh. Yeah, back in my day, Elemento was right one, one letter. <laughs> yeah, I guess they don't do the Elemento like where you can. Elemento P. Yeah, yeah, they've changed it. That's dumb. I don't like it. That was a fun. Part. They, they changed math, and now math is stupid. Math and is overly complicated. It has always yeah. been overly complicated. Mm, no, like I basic like... math is like weird. Yeah, I, my stance stays strong. Math is garbage. We <laughs> <laughs> are literal witches. Anywho, early folk song collectors often collected what are now known as nursery rhymes, including in Scotland, Sir Walter Scott, and in Germany, Clemens Bernato and Ockham von Arnhem. Very German. Very German name. Just reminds me of Occam's Razor. <laughs> the first and possibly the most important academic collection to focus in this area was James Orchid Hallowell's The Nursery Rhymes of England in 1842 Ooh. and The Popular Rhymes and Tales in 1849, in which he divided rhymes into antiquities, so historical, fireside stories, game rhymes, alphabet rhymes, riddles, nature rhymes, places and families, Proverbs, superstitions, customs, and lullabies. So it's getting more complicated, I think. Right. It's like we're gonna break this shit down. <laughs> yeah. What's the um? Oh, what 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 the pneumatic device? Not pneumatic. Mnemonic device. Mnemonic. Remember yeah. that, like you know, like kingdom phylum. <laughs> you know, like King Philip was a turd. I don't know. <laughs> Way wrong. You got the first two. I that's. Cause that's because that's all I remember. High school was a long time ago. Yeah, oh, I took zoology and I played with bugs in college. Ooh, that'd that's be fun. fun. I actually had to take that class twice though, because I didn't pay attention the first time. <laughs> didn't do very good, so I had to retake it to up my grade. I took geology. I played with rocks. It was fun. I enjoyed it. I also took anatomy, so I played with dead things. Oh. I took a lot of science classes because I, I chose to get my bachelor as a bachelor of science instead of a bachelor of arts. Oh, me too. I took botany too. <laughs> I wanted to take botany, but it was always full because oh. it was like an easy course and we had a lot of ag students. Yeah, it was. So I it was a lot of being That's why outside. I ended up playing with bugs. It was all the future pot farmers in botany. Yeah. Like that dude <laughs> that broke into my college room because he got high on like a trumpet plant or something. I don't know. <laughs> That was his story. He farms pot now. He's very good at it. Oh, well, that's yeah. Nice. Like, like legitimately, like he lives somewhere where it's legal and <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. When you know you're calling, you just got to yeah. go. Yeah. Hopefully he's not busting into college dorm right. rooms anymore. <laughs> I tell the guy. same story to somebody else. Like, yep. This right. One time. <laughs> this one time I busted into this chick's dorm room. I was so high. Yes. It looked like her eyes were bleeding out of her head. It was totally weird. Oh, goodness. All right. So by the time Sabine Baring Gould's Book of Nursery Songs in 1895, it was more considered folklore at that, like a little bit before that. But then it became an academic study full of comments Ooh. and footnotes, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> and like, there's this like, 
not even a paragraph long nursery rhyme. Let's let's write a book about what it means. Exactly. They're so short. A lot of them are like four or five lines. And this, they were really, really getting very into this like analysis of it. A professional anthropologist, Andrew Lang, produced a nursery rhyme book in 1897 that also was very academic. You know, you do you. I mean, that is like every college paper I ever wrote. (laughs) Analyze this thing and turn it into 8,000 pages. Uh, See, that was the really hard part is that I went from art history, which you can talk for two days about the color red. And then I went to psychology where they were like, stop doing that shit. (laughs) Like, just get to the point. Yeah, it's APA format is very concise. And like, that's one of the things like they teach us in our grad school is they're like, no fluff yeah no fluff whatsoever it was a really challenging semester having both and i was like oh god i i wouldn't have been able to do it i couldn't it was hard to switch back and forth didn't like it i made a lot of bad choices in college (laughs) (laughs) like changing my major like six times it's fun so in the early 20th century that's when the illustrations start popping up and you get the children's books like riled what can i say words i was randolph what was i saying riled riled randolph caldecott's hey diddle diddle picture book oh yeah which i'd forgot about that one too you know another one just popped into my head little bo peep oh yeah I'm feeling and then that makes nostalgic. me think of the movie The Tenth Kingdom and oh, just yeah. not go down that path. <laughs> it's a 14-hour movie because it was like a made-for-TV like mini-series. It is fantastic. Everyone oh, should watch it. I we watched it, it in one night. Wow. I didn't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, and that one was from 1909. Wow. The Hey Diddle Diddle. And then Arthur Rackman, Rackham's Mother Goose was 1913. Wow, we're getting we're getting the modern times here. Many nursery rhymes have been argued to have a lot of hidden meanings and origins. Really? (laughs) You don't say. John Bellenden Kerr, for example, wrote four volumes arguing that English nursery rhymes were actually written in a low Saxon, a hypothetically early form of Dutch. He then retranslated them back into proper English, in his opinion mind you, revealing in particular a strong tendency to anti-clericalism. That's a stretch. Like if you're when gonna you just- When you play the record backwards, it's like- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right? Exactly that is, is the vibes I'm getting. He, and then he's just like, this is absolutely anti-religion. Just, you gotta listen guys, but- uh, Pagans. Still- Pagans, that's probably where that started. It all there we go. That's a new one. Instead of the alien guy, we're 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 coming back full circle, just like full the chicken circle. pagans. And many of the ideas about links between nursery rhymes and historical persons or events can be traced back to Catherine Elwes' book, "The Real Personages of Mother Goose," and that was 1930. And there, she linked famous nursery rhyme characters with real people with little or no evidence. <laughs> Again, a Can big I write stretch. a book like that? I want exactly. to do that. Exactly. It's just going to say, according to family lore. <laughs> Every other paragraph is just going to be according to family lore. Here is, okay, here's my here's my new theory. Hey diddle diddle predicts the presidency of Donald Trump. Oh god. <laughs> no. I, I don't know how I don't know how that works. 
Okay, diddle diddle. Are you kidding me? The cat and the fiddle? Fiddle. There's cat, aka pussy imagery. Come on. <laughs> I see nothing but facts here. Yeah. So according when, to according to family lore, this is what that was. About. So when we're like all done with our actual stories, I, I'm gonna tell you so there there's I, I heard when I was very young, a very, like a naughty version of a nursery rhyme. My brother said it and he's three years older than me. And he was like, no, like one day you will understand this nursery rhyme, but I'm not going to tell you what it means. And then like three years later, I had this epiphany of what it meant. And then, but I'll wait till we're done and then okay. we can talk about it. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. I'm almost done. All right. Huh. Also, the lady that was like, I'm going to write a book and I have no evidence. She also posited that children's songs were a peculiar form of coded historical narratives, propaganda, and covert protests. And she did not believe that they were written for entertainment. <laughs> I kind of love that. It's just, just like she has an, a pagan a recruitment tool. <laughs> yeah. She, she and it referred to all these different people, apparently. <laughs> See, she's talking about the deep state and QAnon and like... If you just follow the money, man, <laughs> they're going to steal the podium. <laughs> That's the dish running away with the spoon. <laughs> yes! The guy God. stealing the podium. <laughs> How do we sidestep into conspiracy theory so know. seamlessly? There's also been a lot of attempts across the world to, you know, revise nursery rhymes to make them less offensive Terrible. or morbid. And as recently as the 18th century, rhymes like Little Robin Redbreast was cleaned what? up for the young audience. I've never even heard of that one. That's why it's dirty as hell. So the original version. Little Robin Redbreast sitting on a pole. Niddle Noddle went his head and poop went his hole. <laughs> I am totally in line with nursery now. <laughs> It's like, like our dog poop rhyme. That's fantastic. I like that someone was watched a robin sit on a fence and take a shit and was like, I'm writing a nursery rhyme about that. <laughs> that's incredible. I thought it was because it had the word breast. <laughs> I thought that's why they were like, oh, this is inappropriate. I'm like, come on. Like, and again, that's one, like we were talking about things lost to history. Like how did, like, yeah, important stuff get lost and we still have a rhyme about a robin pooping yes okay so in the 18th century they changed the last line to and wag went his tail they're just taking the fun out of everything they are <laughs> and this weird. was found in tommy thumb's pretty songbook so again full circle here That's i've hilarious. never heard of this no uh thing in my entire life so in the 19th century the major concern seems to have been the violence and the crime you know the little stuff and it led to some children's publishers in the united states like jacob abbott and samuel goodrich to change a lot of the mother goose rhymes in the early and mid 20th century 20th centuries this was a form of bodilerization a word I did not know what it meant and I had to go to the googs and it means a form of censorship that involves purging anything deemed noxious or offensive from the artistic work so more you know and 
they they did that because they said there was just too many violent elements for nursery rhymes and they just can't have that because society Ooh. right so they keep the ones that we don't understand the imagery like ring around the rosy or london bridge is falling down or yeah. like you know, stuff that like doesn't overtly sound terrible mm-hmm. but once and- you know it's meaning you're like that is that is terrible but it's so extra because they formed an organization the society for nursery rhyme reform like who gets so been out of shape about a freaking nursery rhyme that you gotta start a club dude moms against violent video games oh yep same i was gonna say nursery (laughs) rhymes were the gta of their time yeah they're ruining our children too violent think of the children Oh, Lord have mercy. My but child were... doesn't want to get allowance because they think they can kill a sex worker for money. <laughs> what? <laughs> What's a you that's problem? A, that's a little Jack the Rippery. Yeah. Oh, it is. Oh, history is everywhere. So psychoanalyst Bruno Bettelheim strongly criticized all the revisionism on the grounds that it weakened their usefulness to both children and adults as ways of symbolically resolving issues. And it's been argued that the revised versions may not perform the functions of catharsis for children and allow them to be imaginatively or imaginative and deal with violence and danger. So psychologists come out being like stop fucking with this shit it had a purpose it was working it was helping the brains you're just ruining it stop it you know what i think is interesting about that so we were talking about how nursery rhymes are really dark and morbid and they talk about hard things like plagues the fall of a monarchy you know serious topics but they're in a way that a child can, can, can digest it and that's helping their brain and then we're moving into this era of like no you don't talk about that that's too grown up kids need to be super protected and all this and now i feel like now we're kind of getting into a realm where we're we're almost shifting back because we're well, almost like we're, we're kids trying need to, to be aware. To, we're trying to talk to kids about hard topics, whether it be like racism. Like I get the, the ad plague. on Facebook all the time <laughs> about like the, the kids book for, about racism or, you know, serious historical events like the civil rights movement, yeah. you know, the civil war. Like we have kids books about those really heavy so topics with the plague. I remember reading about the Holocaust in second grade. You know, and it doesn't do kids any favors to hide all of that from them. There's a way to present it that can be Mm -hmm. appropriate and benefit them. You don't have to be like, here's a bunch of pictures of dead bodies. Look at this and cry. They might not need to know everything, but they shouldn't know nothing. But I think that's cool. The nursery rhymes were like, hey, let's talk about these hard topics in a way that's accessible. And then it was like, no, let's not talk about it at all. Yeah. Well, even today, I think like graphic novels is a way to talk about some really really hard topics because the katrina hurricane katrina graphic novel like literally shows dead bodies but it's it's incredible it's so powerful but it's a way for younger kids to get it and then there are some about like world war ii and stuff too mm-hmm. yeah i mean if you sugarcoat stuff that's just it's a way of censoring history in a way and mm-hmm. I, I, we talked about it today in my interview but you know you just got to give people the facts and present it and people can interpret it how they will but every time you get to like they even call it political correctness in this you're you have to really look at it because it's doing you a disservice in the long run and it's i get it some parents are so overprotective and you can never convince them but yeah i just think it's a little overkill but i don't have kids so i guess 
I don't understand that innate protectiveness of mm -hmm. shielding a tiny person from the world. But yeah, I mean, that never did anything, really. If you shield, they're just going to have a rude awakening someday when they figure it out inevitably. So it's, um, but again, I don't know. Mothers yeah. around the world, fathers are like, how dare you? <laughs> I was going to say mothers are creating a Facebook group against historical AF right now <laughs> right as now. we speak. Mothers yeah, against HAF. I mean, we're getting screwed over too because we're here. Well, <laughs> actually, they probably already had a Facebook group about us. They better love us because we are a bunch of wine swilling ladies, okay? It's okay. We'll just have uh, Drag infiltrate the group. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. One of my favorite things now is when people are like, your dog is not your baby. And be like, how dare yes. you? I birthed him. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Like it was a long labor. You're adopting <laughs> it isn't your baby then. Yeah, Jesus. right. Yeah. <laughs> like I, we're getting technical here. I'm pretty sure I love my dogs as much as some people love their kids. And I know that's mm -hmm. controversial, but I believe it. I do. I love them. Anywho, back to the history. Um, now that you know some history, I'm gonna regale you with just two random nursery rhymes. There's no reason why I picked these. I just did. So first up, Ba Ba Black Sheep. <laughs> I remember it's that one. From 1744, Britain. So, ba ba black sheep. Have you any wool? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Three bags full. One for the master, one for the dame, and one for the little boy who lives down the lane. Again, this one was also very controversial, and we will get into it. So, a lot of scholars do agree that Baba Black Sheep is about the great custom, a tax on wool that was introduced in 1275, and people were pissed about it. Yeah. And the use of the color black in the word master led some people to be like, oh my God, this is really racist. And so it got canceled. But there's no actual scholarly evidence that that's what they were connecting it to. Um, Probably not. Not from like way back then. Like, yeah. Especially like if you're like, well, hey, they came out around this time and there was this tax that came out around this time too. It's like, that makes more sense than you just yeah. being like, they use the word master and black in the same sentence and it's racist. I'm actually really sure. glad to hear that because the daycare where I worked, we had like lullabies on CD that we would play for the kids. And that was one of them. And I remember thinking, like, I wonder what this really means. God, I hope it's not racist. <laughs> yeah, but I think also as, especially in America, when we hear something like that from our experience and our history here, that's what we're gonna think of. But right. again, this is like 1275. So this, it's just context. Um, whether or not this was a way for adults to get kids to fear and hate taxes is really kind of the issue here. You know, they were really pissed about it. But the master was supposedly representing King Edward I, and the dame was supposed to be the church. So it's oh. a political thing if yeah. you get to it. But the last time anybody's really done some like in-depth research on this was 1997. So I couldn't find anything online if anybody has done any contemporary research that refutes any of that. And if they have, please let me know. But 97 was the earliest or closest to now that I could find. And the little boy referred to all the shepherds he took care of as sheep in this scenario as yeah. well. So it seems like the shepherds got the raw deal because in the original version, the little boy didn't get any wool. Oh. So it was even darker. So, <laughs> And this is another instance of political correctness. And so in the 20th century, it was banned from a lot of schools and it was banned from being repeated in classrooms. And eventually, around 2011, a lot of people started switching the word black for rainbow. So it was Baba Rainbow Sheep. Which, 
<laughs> you know, you should have picked another color that was still one, like, one syllable. Yeah. I mean, it could be, like, white, like a normal sheep. But then people would be like, why is it? Yeah. I don't know. People are going to be mad at everything. Yeah. Baba sheep sheep. I'm surprised. <laughs> I'm surprised no one got mad at the rainbow for being part of, like, the sinister gay agenda yeah, or right? something. Yeah, that was my first thought. Yeah. yeah. And then my Green. last one is Old Mother Hubbard. You mentioned it. So here we go. Old That's Mother Hubbard. Went to the cupboard to get her poor doggy a bone. When she got there, the cupboard was bare, so the poor little doggy had none. And I didn't know what this meant, but it's a lot of people think it refers to the famous Cardinal Woolsey. Cardinal Thomas Woolsey was the most important statesman and churchman in the Tudor history period, which I was blown away that I didn't know this because I fucking love Tudor history. So, this is 16th century, by the way. So, Woolsey proved to be a faithful servant, but he pissed off King Henry VIII by not getting him that divorce from, you know, Catherine of Aragon. And the reason he was seeking a divorce was to, you know, marry my girl Anne Boleyn. Ooh, hold on. <laughs> my Anne Boleyn rubber ducky. Oh, that's amazing. <gasps> it's I from Eber it. Castle, her house. They shipped to the United States and I bought the weirdest shit. <laughs> That's fantastic. I would buy an Anne Mullen rubber duck. It's so cute. So, yeah, he wanted to marry her. He couldn't get his divorce. And so the creation of Old Mother Hubbard poem was to enable him to marry Anne Boleyn, with whom he was passionately in love. In the Old Mother Hubbard song, King Henry was the doggy and the bone refers to the divorce and not uh, money as people once believed. The cover relates to the Catholic Church, although the subsequent divorce arranged by Thomas Kramer resulted in the break with Rome and, you know, the formation of the English yeah. Protestant Church and all that good stuff. And this, the demise of Old Mother Hubbard, was the demise of Cardinal Wolsey, because he did not have a good time. So, I'm going to tell my dirty one now. Okay. Because it it's a parody on Old Mother Hubbard. So. Oh, awesome! So, I heard this when I was really, really young, um, so this this is the 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 dirty version that I heard. So it's old mother Hubbard went to the cupboard to get her old dog a bone, and when she bent over, the dog came over and gave her a bone of his own. Oh, I have heard that. Oh, I have heard and that. My brother said that like when I was like six. Was, <laughs> so he was like nine or ten, you know, because he was a little boy, and he I was like, what does that mean? And he's like, I'm not gonna tell you. And then I remember like I'm not even joking. It was one of those like I was like in the back of a school bus or something, and I just had this epiphany of. <gasps> I understand that. <laughs> I like telling people that one because I'm like, it's it's dirty because it, and gross and it kind of, on so many levels. It's kind of appropriate though because if that's correct, that's about you know Wolsey and King Henry VIII and you know Anne Boleyn and Catherine and everything. Henry VIII wanted to bone a different lady and yeah, he couldn't and he was pissed about it. So he is the dog looking for that bone, man. <laughs> so he just boned his current wife. Yeah, I guess that would still make sense. No, Mother Hubbard is Wolsey. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I mean, he did fuck that dude over. Yeah. So this works on like eight different levels of varying dirtiness. Yeah. Jeez. Fucking nursery rhymes. I love that because I, I remember learning about like the tutors and walls, all that. I was like, oh. so that, I don't know, that makes me really happy. I'm like, oh, I feel I like I know a fun little fact now. It's funny though, because like until you just repeated the old Mother Hubbard rhyme, I couldn't actually remember that version of it. I could only remember the different <laughs> version. That's incredible. <laughs> I'm going to get comfortable now that I don't have to read and like 
<laughs> I was gonna say, like, like get your snuggy, cozy up, just sit back, enjoy, because we got some weird, weird shit going on here. <laughs> I'll let you start it off. All right. You can be blue. Okay. Our notes are color coded, but we never decided who was what color. I love that. I always assumed you were purple because that's your favorite color. <laughs> All right. So thank you for sharing like the overview of like what nursery rhymes are. And now we're going to tell you the true story behind one of the most famous ones, the Pied Piper of Hamlin. Maybe. Maybe nursery rhyme. <laughs> Your <laughs> fairy tale, true historical event that was super devastating. Who knows? I love so that because we like very briefly mentioned it, but I have no idea like why, <laughs> like why, where yeah. did it come from? <laughs> so as kids, we all heard the story of the Pied Piper of Hamelin and none of us knew what the fuck Pied was. I always thought it was like a weird thing for pie. I'm like, oh, it's like a big pie. I don't know. And if, but if you were somehow spared from this nightmare-fueled nursery rhyme, allow us to ruin your day. So once <laughs> or upon, night. Or know. night. Allow us to ruin your existence. So once upon a time in the picturesque German town of Hamlin, villagers lived sweet provincial lives. They were singing about their provincial lives and blowing dandelions and Disney can't sue me because I ain't said the name of the movie. But then their quiet existence was gnawed away when the town suffered an infestation of rats. Oh no. The furry freeloaders devoured food and spread disease to the town people and all of their efforts to drive the rats out failed. Then a piper dressed in pied, which is multicolored, so I envision a jester. Yeah, it's like just, it's literally it's multicolored It's a dude clothing. in multicolored clothing. <laughs> Anyway, he arrived, promising he could rid Hamlin of their rats. The town's mayor agreed to pay a hefty sum if the Pied Piper was successful. So the Piper took out his pipe, flute, not other pipe, and began to play. Entranced by the music, the town's rats scurried through the streets after the Piper, who led them to the nearby Wesser River to drown. When the Piper returned to the town to collect his payment, the mayor looked around and went, rats, what rats, and refused to pay. Enraged, the Pied Piper vowed revenge and left. Never piss off a man that has the confidence to wear that many colors, okay? <laughs> or drown a shit ton of rats. <laughs> rats are angry creatures. So on St. John and Paul's Day, all of the adults were in church because it was a churchy affair. And apparently this was like a don't bring your, your kids to church day. Pagan and all the pagan sex pagans. ritual. <laughs> And all the children were at home just chilling out, probably thanking God they didn't have to go to church because I grew up going to church. It's super boring. And that's <laughs> when the Pied Piper returned. But this time when he played, instead of enchanting rats, the children followed the irresistible tune. The Pied Piper led the children of Hamlin away, never to be seen again. The children's fate differs depending on the telling. In some versions, the children are led to the same river as the rats and drown. Sad. Uh, in <laughs> yeah. others, the children are returned after the town pays up. Fair. That's, you know, good business practice. <laughs> the, the brutality of the ending really depends on how obnoxious the kid that you're telling the story to is. Exactly. Like, how badly do you want to fuck that kid up? You know, are they like a precocious Dennis the Menace or are they Satan? Yeah. And as you we were telling that, I was remembering Hocus Pocus. Like she sings and draws all the kids yep. out. Yep. 
Exactly. So background, it probably won't surprise anyone here to learn that this story originated in the medieval times. <laughs> right? It's a bummer. The earliest record of the story can be found in the town of Hamelin itself. Yes, Hamelin in Germany is a real place. Yeah, we can all go there. Or maybe not. <laughs> there used to be a stained glass window in the church of Hamelin dating back to the 1300s that depicted the Pied Piper and children dressed in white. Whoa. Unfortunately, you can't see it anymore because that church got destroyed in 1660. No! It doesn't exist anymore, which is really sad. However, the story of the Pied Piper has persisted thanks to many retellings by notable writers such as the Grimm Brothers and Robert Browning, who I think you actually mentioned. Yeah. Now the church? That's just yeah. blowing my mind. Stained glass, you got the Jesus, and then you got the Pied Piper. That's right? Right. Luring children to their potential deaths. Yeah. Just... What would Jesus do? He'd put that on some stained glass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, if you think it's weird that a fairy tale scene or a nursery rhyme scene was included in a church window, as we obviously <laughs> yeah, do, you'd be right. Kina is always right. But the window wasn't depicting a nursery rhyme, but rather a real event in the town's history. Oh, God. Yes, the real town of Hamlin really lost their kids. And this is backed up by written records from 1384, which state, quote, it is a hundred years since our children left. <laughs> and I, an old man definitely wrote that down. Along with a plaque. So what, he was like 32? Yes. <laughs> and he was about to die from syphilis. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and it also, there's also a plaque which is hung outside of the alleged like Pied Piper house, which was built in 1602. So like the Pied Piper was never fucking there. <laughs> but the plaque reads AD 1284 on the 26th of June, the day of St. John and St. Paul, 130 children born in Hamlin were led out of the town by a Piper wearing multicolored colored clothes. After passing the Calvary near Koppenberg, they disappeared forever Whoa. and you'll notice that there are some very specific yeah like, like details this, yeah the saint john's day the children the man in the multicolored clothing never seen those fucking kids again and other written records about the event reference the same date and the same number of children so now we have a date we have the number of children that went missing and who took them this is like some straight up true crime shit and i'm here for it let's solve this True crime event from 1300. <laughs> we will yes. be able to do this with research with with the research that I put together by reading people's work that already figured it out. <laughs> but what were the true circumstances that caused Hamlin to lose 130 of their children? And here are a few th theories as to what happened to the children of Hamlin, and we have organized them in order descending order from least to most likely. Oh, okay. Yeah. Least to most likely? Yeah. So the first one is probs not. The last one is most deaf. <laughs> yeah. From from probs not to most Pagans. deaf. Pagans. <laughs> do come so up. We're skipping That's ahead. the funny no, thing. Okay. So theory one, natural causes. Remember, this, this is least likely. <laughs> this is like every botched murder investigation where they're like, no, this person that got stabbed 20 times definitely died natural, natural causes. 100%. Who can, what can we do? Um, so this is the boring one. We're just getting it out of the way. Some experts theorize that it was a disease 
mass starvation or some sort of natural disaster that ripped through the town, killing the children. The theory states that the Pied Piper is actually more of a grim reaper figure representing death rather than the actual cause itself. Oh. And now have the headcanon that the Pied Piper is the Grim Reaper's flamboyant cousin. 100%. Okay. It's like the goth Absolutely. kid and the theater kid in high school. <laughs> Which I was both. <laughs> it's me. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly is... Kelly! Is where this is the grand reveal? Kids. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. gasps> and She's gonna chase the rats out of Hamlin. Emily is forever derailed. <laughs> So, so some have suggested that it was the bubonic plague that ripped through the village, which would connect to the rats of legend. But the bubonic plague, ra plague ravaged Europe from 1347 to 1351, long after the children would have disappeared. Um, also, mention of the iconic rats aren't included in the earlier tellings of the story, and they don't actually show up until about the mid-1500s. Oh, Theory number two. Hey, look, me, uh, Dion can join me. She she was emo <laughs> slash show choir. Yes, love it. So we have theory number two, dance fever. I love this. Ooh. I almost want this to be it, but I don't think so. So before the stockpiling of toilet paper, a different kind of mass hysteria swept Europe, and it was called the dancing plague got the night Dance. fever night, night fever dancing plague gonna die drop from exhaustion i can't say exhaustion i'm so tired <laughs> also no emily has like, the dancing plague <laughs> i have the cannot stop singing everything plague <laughs> So also known as St. Vitus's Dance, the Dancing Plague dates back to the 11th century and left victims with an inexplicable and uncontrollable urge to dance, sing, and or they had hallucinations. Victims would literally dance themselves to death. And the crazy thing is that there was nothing actually wrong with the sufferers. They were merely victims of mass hysteria. And there oh, was some- happened so many There times. are some theories that like potentially there was like a fungus that caused mm. people to like, trip balls and dance yeah. themselves there could have been a cause that we just have no way of identifying but according to the records of the time like they couldn't find anything wrong with these people it just seemed to be this like collective freak out remember when we were all just so connected and we talked to our neighbors and lent each other sugar and had mass <laughs> hysteria together back in the good old days <laughs> there were <laughs> Well, the hysteria <laughs> would spread through a community and we still don't know entirely what caused the bizarre phenomenon, but it happened across Europe. Yeah. And it's been suspected that the impressionable children of Hamlin fell victim to the dancing plague and danced themselves to death. And this theory connects the musical component of the story and the idea of the children like dancing out of the village, like doing the <laughs> Gangnam style. Yeah, <laughs> no, what was the like, duh. That song has my name in it. That Sir Mix a lot. He says, Hey, Kina, why don't you take us out to Papado? It's true. Will you take us out to Papado, Kina? Here, Papado's is a New Orleans really fancy restaurant. Ooh, yeah. So we're going to come and you're going to take us there. Yeah. If we'll I get this job, I will. Otherwise, I'm too poor. <laughs> 
So there is a record of the dancing plague striking a town just south of Hamlin called Erfurt. <laughs> Erfurt. Wow, beautiful language. Erfurt. It Love sounds like the Swedish chef. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, so this happened in like the 13th century. According to the records, the hysteria affected town youths who danced and gyrated. Ooh. So they were like doing that dance we're doing in high school that you get kicked out of the dance where they're just like humping and grinding. But they did this for 12 miles or 20 kilometers to Ooh. another town where some of them did drop dead from exhaustion. Oh, wow. Which I'm like, could I even run 20 kilometers without dropping dead from exhaust? Like, because at first I was like, oh, come on, 12 miles. Come on. But I'm like, no, 12 miles running. I might actually die. Oh, hey, that's like, I've done that. I've done a half marathon. That's like, what, 14, 13? So you would be fine. Didn't oh, not, that not one, now. That was long. That one night run we did, wasn't that a half marathon? No, that was a 5K. Yeah. <laughs> I, almost, <laughs> I almost died during that. So it's, it's but I do also have knee problems. <laughs> so it's possible that a similar event occurred in Hamlin or news of the event happening in the neighboring town inspired the story and like it just turned into like a town legend. That's possible. And now for the pagans. 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 Uh, so theory, theory three, religious conversion. Pagans and Christians. One of the best clues we have to trying to figure out what happened is the repeated date, June 26, 1284. This just so happens to be around the time of pagan midsummer festivals, which oh. celebrate the summer solstice. Traditionally, these festivals include music, dancing, bonfires, and general revelry and, you know, mischief and pagan activities. However, as Christianity was spreading across Europe, midsummer was replaced by St. John's Day. The official changeover came to Germany in 1653 when the Nuremberg Town Council banned all pagan practices and demanded that the all celebrations be in honor of St. John's. Shocked. So according to this theory, a local Christian faction masqueraded as pagan shamans playing their flutes to lead the children to the hills under the guise of a midsummer celebration. However, their goal was to convert the children to Christianity, and either they spirited them away to some local monasteries, or if you want to get real dark, killed them as a form of religious genocide. Oh my god, and I yeah, hate that that sounds like it probably 100% happened. something happened, yeah. 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 Jesus Christ history. Well, and it's it's spooky because the date, the yeah. whole changeover, even even that festival, because this allegedly occurred on like St. John's Day. Right. All of that kind of matches up. And I'm like, mm -hmm. Ooh. Ooh. So here's here's theory number four. And this is personally the one that I find the most credible. I'm kind of torn be between three and four because three is like really dark. And I kind of love that. But four, I'm like, oh, I feel like it has a lot going for it. So colonization. <laughs> Everyone's favorite thing. Yeah. Religious conversion and colonization. Can we have a history episode without talking about those two things? I mean, honestly. <laughs> so during the 13th century, Germany was facing an overpopulation problem, which is surprising considering how easy it was to die back then. Yeah, but you have to like also factor in that like everyone was having like 16 children. Because they yeah. were all dying. Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> There's no Netflix, nothing else to do. Yeah, yeah right. Baby. There's just there was, chill. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Only chill. There's work, chill, and die. And taxes. 
So the common practice of the time was that the land and the power was passed down through the family to the oldest son, leaving any other children to act as serfs and work that land. So if you were the firstborn son, yay, if you were literally any other child, fuck off. <laughs> that would have been screwed. I'm the yeah. last. Oh, same. I am the only, but I am a woman, so. No. So you're just yeah. screwed. <laughs> blob, blob. At that point, your dad just has to pick some random other yeah. person's son, but not the first son, probably the someone's second son, and be like, you're my heir now. I will be screwed by society and my chosen husband yeah. until I die in childbirth mm. or of syphilis. Who knows? So at the same time, Both. Eastern Europe was being colonized and was lacking laborers. So we have over here, we have a bunch of too many goddamn people with no futures. And over here, sorry, I'm trying to like get my hand on the screen. <laughs> We've got a bunch of land and we need a bunch of people to work that land. Oh, no. In an attempt to redistribute the available labor force, recruiters, also known as locators, and that's spelled L-O-K-A-T-O-R-S, because I think it just looks more so sinister. You read it as locators, but in my mind, I read it as locators. <laughs> <laughs> Fancy. I mean, it's German. It, it, you gotta have like a hawk in there. <laughs> yeah. Lachtar. Wait, wait. This says low care. No, it's Lachtar. <laughs> Frankenstein. Frankenstein. <laughs> Who's the doctor, not the monster? So these locators, they traveled around playing instruments and wearing multicolored clothing in order to attract villagers willing to emigrate to these new territories and work the land. That's a really weird immigration tactic. Well, it's because. <laughs> They're playing music. They're bright and color. Like you can't miss yeah. these people. I know it's just I mean, very weird. I am colorful. You can trust me. Yeah, it, it's kind of like viral marketing of 13th <laughs> century Germany. <laughs> so these recruiters wouldn't have exclusively been looking for kids, though. But at the time, members of a village were referred to as children, regardless of their age. So, oh. for example, instead of Hamlinites or Hamlinian citizens of Hamlin would be called children of Hamlin. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So the recruiters promised that immigrants to the new colonies would have more opportunities and find their fortunes. Kind of like the big, like, new land, gold, everything's shiny. Don't Everybody worry go about west. it. Yeah. Just that whole narrative that we always hear. And because most of them were destined to be serfs anyway, working for their older dick brother, because the oldest brother is always the dickiest, this was a super attractive <laughs> offer. And there is a lot of evidence to back up this theory other than everything I've kind of just said. So researchers have identified family surnames from the town of Hamlin that they were able to match to those surnames that they found in newly colonized regions, particularly Poland. Oh, wow. So they were able to connect like family surnames That's from these two different cool. areas. That There's also so a string of villages which follow the path of colonization that either have the same names as existing German villages because no one has time to be creative. You're dying so quickly. Or they're super similar where it's like, oh, this will be Hamelinburg. Oh, my God. I know a Hamlin. I know a Hamlin. Yeah, I know Hamlin. He's from Ireland. Is that a place they ended up? Maybe. Yeah, probably. It's possible that June 26, 1284, a locator came to Hamlin. Lucatar. <laughs> and recruited 130 immigrants. I couldn't find what the population of Hamlin was in the 1200s. 
you know, maybe it's meant for better people than me. But by 1689, their population was only 2,398. Oh. So that is hundreds of years later, and they still have like a teeny weeny population. So like they've seen subsequent growth. So I imagine they had an even smaller population in the 1200s. And even if we assume their population was the same, 2,398 people, 130 people have been like, what, just over 5%? Roughly. I did this math with like my pen and paper, my calculator, but I don't know if it's correct. But that's a huge amount of people to that leave is. your tiny town. And assuming it was even smaller than 2,000 people. And that percentage only grows. Sorry, I, I said that without reading my notes. <laughs> <laughs> so losing such a large number of villagers, never to be seen again, because... They were off in these new territories. They probably never came back. Maybe a bunch of them died. Who knows? That would have been traumatizing to a small village and worthy of recording. Yeah. So Hamlin today. Because it's still a thing, y'all. It's y still around. So regardless of which of our theories is correct, because one of them deaf is. There's no, no other than aliens. No, oh, it's of pagans. Course. Or, no. Pagans. 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 <laughs> Pagans with the angry llama hands. <laughs> Wasn't that our angry llama yeah. gesture? Pagans. They're also angry llamas. Um, anyways, so the events of June 26, 2084 resulted in a collective town trauma. Hamlin, though, learned to capitalize on it. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Come visit this picturesque German village, which looks like it was ripped straight from your storybook. Stop by the local bakeries and enjoy... Freshly baked rat-shaped pastries. <laughs> yeah. Take in a Pied Piper play. Stock up on rat swag and take a walking tour led by the your very own Pied Piper. The Pied Piper has been played by resident Michael Boyer for 26 years. His duties include leading tours, greeting dignitaries, all while dressed in a brightly colored Harlequin outfit. Google this. <laughs> What a fun job. You get to go around playing a flute, meeting famous and powerful people dressed like a jackass. I am here for it. Right. I want I mean, it's that like, job. It's, it's like you get to be a modern day court jester. Yeah. yeah. And be paid for it. I want to go. <laughs> I want to go too. Can we please go to Germany? You had me at rat pastries. <laughs> no, right? They <laughs> are actually super cute because they're not hyper realistic. Yeah. Good. <laughs> So there's a street in Hamlin named. Can I please try this? Bungalowstrasse. Ooh. Or street without drums. I really like that street name. Yeah. Like it looks like a fun word when you look at it. Yeah, because it's Bungalowstrasse. Bungalowstrasse. That's yeah. what I'm gonna say. Bungalowstrasse. Uh, and allegedly is allegedly where the children were last seen and dancing and music is prohibited on this street. So naturally tourists oh. must do Fortnite dances there on TikTok <laughs> with the oh, face. <laughs> Beyond the borders of Hamlin, the story of the Pied Piper has reached 42 countries has been translated into at least 30 languages. And beyond that, it's been immortalized in art, music, and more. Like, I don't even remember where I first heard this story. I just, like, but grew you know, up I've heard knowing it. Yeah. it. I just grew up knowing it. While the events of June 26, 1284, that cost Hamlin 130 of its children remain shrouded in or mystery. Or possibly just villagers. Well, it's the same thing as we've learned. The story of the colorfully dressed rat exterminator turned child abductor has endured, and only God knows why. 
It's oh so my. fucking weird. Oh, that's incredible. There's a Pied Piper pizza in Texas. And huh. Now I just want to go. I don't know what don't it know is. I don't know if I want to eat there. Now I'm trying like to remember. Oh, okay. Because I'm like, Maybe. the inclinations are rats and child abduction. I Exactly. Like, Chuck E. Cheese is already sketch as hell, man. Come on. Pied Piper googling i've never actually googled this i just drive by it and i'm like i need to google this and then i never do send us some pied piper pizza in the mail no thank you okay but you have to take rat shaped cookie cutters and cut into it and then send it to us that way okay here's the thing if you go you need to be in rainbow clothing playing a flute absolutely (laughs) that would be the quickest way to get the cops called on you you're just like dressed as the pied piper singing a pizza establishment where the where a bunch of kids are eating pizza I mean, the marketing must be difficult because aren't there are like some people that try to do like the pedophilia aspect of the Pied Piper? Like I've heard that come up on some weird shit before. I just I don't know. I mean, the Pied Piper is kind of justifiably bitter, but definitely takes it to the extreme. I wouldn't call him like if he drowned it. I wouldn't wouldn't call him a sympathetic character when you want to emulate or make your pizza mascot. Right. Exactly. Two things. Anyway, it's getting late. It's like it's 10 (laughs) o'clock. Thank you so much for joining me. As always, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for having us again. This is always (laughs) just an absolute blast. I talk about no, my hands. This, this was a good way to like. I didn't have a great day, but this was. It is definitely ending on a very high note. Yes. Oh, I've had so much fun. I was exhausted, and I was like, "How am I going to get through this?" And now I'm energized. This was. Amazing. Yeah, I'm still. I'm still like, yeah, I can go to bed. Like, I'm energized, <laughs> but I'm also like, I could sleep now. Oh yeah, I'm gonna pass out right now. <laughs> Bye. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank, thank you. you. Hello, my friends. I'm back, baby. I want to thank my guest, Whining About Her Story, for joining me. I, okay, listen, we recorded this, like, August, the day that I had my interview, and I got that job, but I completely had forgotten everything that we had said when we recorded this, so as I was editing, I was just cracking up the entire time. It was like hearing it for the first time. It was amazing. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Definitely need to go check them out. They are hilarious. That's Whining About Her Story. If you would like to follow me on social media, that is Historical AF Pod at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, if they're still working. Hope you guys survived the great Facebook blackout of 2021, by the way. You can also join Patreon and watch these live. I cut out like an hour and a half, two hours of stuff you can watch and fun stories and personal stories that we won't say on air <laughs> and you can also go check out merch that's shop.spreadshirt.com slash historical and i just want to also say thank you for bearing with me i took a couple of months off so i could kind of start my job and get settled and hopefully things will be more consistent I am going to try really hard because I love this podcast. It brings me a lot of joy and, you know, everybody needs some joy in their life. So I will see you guys next week for Nursery Rhymes Part 2. Okay, bye!